A few years ago now, a reality TV show aired called Undercover Boss. Now, the format's gone around the world. It was a simple premise: the CEO or some other senior figure in an organisation would come down to the shop floor, as it were. Uh, and would work disguised among the employees、uh, for a few days.、Uh, they'd step down from their executive office instead of working、uh, on their corner office、uh, with all of the trappings of leadership. They would be down,、uh, seeing what regular working life looked like among the rank and file. And often it was quite revealing.、Uh, they would see the frustrations of poor organisation、uh, and how that was creating a problem for the people who were working for them. They would sometimes hear of a particular personal struggle or hardship, and a few of them would offer direct help to the people that they'd encountered who were in need. Most of them found that experience of stepping down to a junior position to be eye-opening. For them,、uh, they committed to changing the practice, the ethos of the organisations. Afterwards, as a result, and I was thinking of undercover boss as I was reading this great chapter of John's Gospel here in John thirteen.、Uh, here's the story of the Lord Jesus Christ stepping down,、uh, and not just among the ranks for a week, but taking the role and the position. Of a servant, of a slave, even. The thing that's so striking about these events is what is discovered in the process. In undercover bosses, the boss who is learning what life is like down on ground level,、uh, maybe their lives are going to be changed by what they discovered. But with Jesus in John thirteen, it's the other way round. It is Jesus. Stepping down, stooping down, serving his followers—it's in that that they realise who he really is, and of what life in his kingdom looks like. I'm a subversive guy at heart. I I love this story. It's one of those moments in the Gospels where Jesus is at his most disruptive. It's shocking what he does here, scandalous even. He's showing what life is truly like, and in it, he issues a stunning invitation to receive nothing less than salvation from his hands. The setting is the night just before he died. The events are a final meal together with his followers, and the message—the message—is as important for you and for me as it was for them there. That evening. So let's look at it together. I've got two questions for us to consider、uh, as we open the passage up this lunchtime. Here's the first of them: Are you willing to be served? Are you willing to be served? The story itself takes only a moment or two to tell.、Uh, Jesus is having dinner with his disciples the night before he died,、uh, and partway through the meal. The conversation comes to an abrupt halt as Jesus gets up from the table. The other gospels tell us about the meal Jesus was having, the Last Supper,、uh, with the bread and the wine. But John is unique here in telling us what's happening away from the table,
as Jesus reverses his role from master of ceremonies to being the lowliest of servants. We hear what happened from verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. John is a deft writer. He wants us to see the contrast here. All the grandeur of verse 3 sets up an almighty shock in verse 4. Jesus has all the power from the Father in heaven. He's been sent from God. He's returning to God. And therefore, what? Therefore, he threw his weight around and showed everyone who was boss. Therefore, he banished Judas, who'd already been decided to betray him. Well, no. No, therefore, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. In other words, he took the clothing and the posture of a servant. In those days, only a servant would wash people's feet and probably a slave. It was seen as beneath the status of a free Jewish man to do that. And in the absence of a servant among this group of people who considered themselves peers with one another, their feet had gone unwashed. Dirty from the Judean dirt tracks that they were walking down, they'd have been grubby as they reclined for their dinner. And what Jesus does next is it's a remarkable act of humility. He stoops down and he gets a basin and he starts washing their feet one by one. Peter, as ever, is quick to complain at whatever Jesus has in mind to do. He raises an objection uh, and we see it there from verse 6. Jesus came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Peter, for this moment, he stands for the self-sufficient one, the proud one. He's embarrassed on Jesus' behalf. He doesn't want to be seen to have his great Lord and teacher humiliate himself to wash his feet. This is the same Jesus, remember, of whom John the Baptist said he was unworthy to untie his sandals. And in one sense, Peter is right. The Jesus from heaven in verse 3, he doesn't need to serve his people in such humility. But Peter has misunderstood something significant about who Jesus is and what he came to do. He came, as he said elsewhere, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Peter objects to being served by Jesus and many do today. They want to serve themselves, to save themselves even. 
But Jesus' actions, they correct that way of thinking. There is no Christianity without the cross. There's no life in Christ without the humiliation of Jesus' death. What Jesus did for his first followers that evening stands as more than just a nice story. It's a lived out parable about the message of the gospel itself, that Jesus would give himself in self-sacrificial service for those who would trust in him. But Jesus' offering of himself was to be received by the humble, not the proud, by little children, not the wise and the learned. In order to found salvation in Jesus, we must first be willing to be served by him. You shall never wash my feet, Peter says. And he gets corrected with a rebuke that is actually an invitation. Unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Are you willing to be served this Easter time as we approach Good Friday and the events of the cross? Are you willing to be served by Jesus? Because if not, the events of Easter, they're not for you. But if you are, well, then there's an invitation and it is held out to you with open arms in the Lord Jesus. Are you willing to be served? It's a challenge to our pride. It is followed by an invitation to life. And that is our second question from this chapter. Are you ready to be cleansed? Are you ready to be cleansed? And many Christians throughout the ages, they've got hung up on the idea of foot washing as part of their fellowship. Uh, They've taken this example of Jesus and they've heeded the command in verse 14, quite literally. Uh, He says in verse 14, uh, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And we're quick to broaden the application. I, for one, I don't much like the idea of washing other people's feet. And I suppose that one benefit of this social isolation at the moment is that I don't feel any need to go and wash anybody's feet. I think I'd be banned from doing so by government advice at the moment. I did once, though, I did once have the experience of somebody washing my feet of sorts. I'd been at the seaside and I'd spent a long time out at sea. uh, And my circulation isn't great and my feet had gone completely numb. And I hobbled my way up the beach and sat down. And a friend of mine came to me with a towel uh, to help dry my feet off and to warm them up. And I have to say that I was embarrassed by this. I felt awkward as he leant over with a towel to try to dry my feet. I tried to send him away. But he said this, he said, if it's good enough for Jesus, then it's good enough for me. I couldn't argue with that, so I let him carry on. That memory, it stuck with me. as a friend coming to me in need and helping me out. Well, maybe you do wash other people's feet. Maybe you have others wash your feet. Maybe you wish we did this more often. But most of us, I think most of us rightly, want to apply this command of Jesus more broadly just than that. 
to any act of practical love that is required by our neighbour. And we've seen and we've heard many examples in these past few weeks of neighbours bringing in shopping for those more vulnerable from the coronavirus, to staff in the NHS and elsewhere going to work to help the sick. For an otherwise self-centred society, seeing service come back into fashion has been one small blessing amidst the otherwise bleak time of pandemic that we're living in. And I'm sure that is what Jesus had in mind in its broad sense. We would do well to hear that command in this time more than many others. It'll be a time where the world is watching and listening to the acts of service of Christians. But we can't skip too readily away from the immediate context here and of what it meant for Jesus and for us. Because it wasn't by accident that Jesus, in his lived out parable of humble service, acted out cleansing. He was teaching something important about the kind of salvation that he was bringing as he served his followers. He came to make us clean. Jesus said to Peter there in verse 8, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. This story tells us that there is no Christianity without cleansing. That Jesus came to a people stained by sin and he gave himself up so that we might be clean in him. We've heard the narrative of Jesus stooping down to wash his disciples' feet. Uh, But the bigger truth revealed in that lived out parable has been expressed with equal power in poetry too. Probably the Bible's most concise exposition of the humiliation of Christ comes in Philippians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul writes about the journey of Jesus down from glory in heaven to the depths of the earth. He writes that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. Of all the truths about the Lord Jesus, of all the many-sided aspects of his character, I find this among the most compelling and attractive. He chose not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He could have remained aloof and distant from all of the brokenness and the evil in the world, but instead he chose to step into it, to take upon himself that very brokenness and evil that would have kept anyone else away. By doing this on our behalf, Jesus shunned the trappings of power that were his by right. As this period of Lent comes to an end, we're invited to remember the time that Jesus spent facing temptation in the wilderness. There, the devil tempted him with things that were his by right. 
Uh, Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God, as John reminded us at the beginning of this chapter, and yet he humbled himself. Starving in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, the devil tempted him saying, tell these stones to become bread, but he refused to serve himself. Led to the roof of the temple in Jerusalem, he's invited to throw himself off to initiate an impressive angelic rescue, but he refused to serve himself. Taken to the top of a mountain and shown the splendor of the kingdoms of the world, he was offered them all without enduring the pain and the suffering of the cross. If only he would bow down and worship the devil. But he refused to serve himself. He could have had it all for his own advantage, but for our sake, he humbled himself to death and even the humiliation of a criminal's death on a cross. And that first Maundy Thursday, arrested at night in a garden, he could have called on legions of angels to come and rescue him, but he refused to serve himself. Hung on a cross to die that first Good Friday, he heard the jeers calling out to him. He saved others, but he cannot save himself. Of course he could. Of course he could. But he chose not to serve himself. Here's a truly extraordinary thing about Jesus Christ coming at Christmas and dying on Good Friday. He humbled himself in order to do it. As the creed put it, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. And thank God that he did. Because here in the muck and in the mire of life as we live it, conscious of our own sin and the stain that comes with it, it is good news that Jesus humbled himself to death in order to wash us clean. These past few weeks have given rise to so many stories of selfless service, in some cases some costly self-sacrifice. The key workers in the NHS, on the transport network, in shops, putting themselves on the front line day by day in order to serve the wider community and often with inadequate protection from infection. They're an example to us. We ought to be very grateful indeed for that. But amid many such stories, one has stood out to me. It's of a man who had been on a ventilator in hospital in Bergamo in northern Italy. Here are some lines from a news report. The global coronavirus pandemic is forcing doctors and nurses to make agonizing decisions of who lives and who dies. It is the toughest and most heartbreaking decision a person could ever have to make. Infected with COVID-19, that is exactly the decision that faced 72-year-old Italian priest Don Giuseppe Berardelli. And in the highest of priestly callings, Berardelli chose to put others' lives before his own by giving up his ventilator to save the life of a much younger person. He made that ultimate sacrifice on March the 15th. 
What love for the stranger do you have to have in order to give up your life willingly like that? It's the love that Jesus spoke of later that same evening in John chapter 15. He said, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. As he humbled himself to wash his disciples' feet, Jesus anticipated a much more humiliating act of service, one that did much more lasting good for them. As Jesus went willingly to the cross that first Good Friday and gave himself up to death there, he loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end, John tells us. He loved them to hell and back. He died in order to face the full force of God's judgment against sin and the stain of guilt that came with it. And as his blood was shed there, so it brought cleansing from sin for all those who would look to his sacrifice to be washed from within. Not just the feet now, not just the whole body outwardly. This is cleansing, true Cleansing, lasting cleansing, a cleansing from within of all that had been contaminated by sin. Some won't receive it, this cleansing. Some won't accept the sacrifice of Jesus and his blood shed for them. They'll try to clean themselves or to deny altogether that they're dirty. But this Easter weekend, there is an open invitation to come to the cross to be cleansed of sin and to know life in Christ. Will you take that invitation? Because in this, we're left with a question that confronts our pride. Are you willing to be served? And a question that invites us to Easter hope this weekend. Are you ready to be cleansed?